Hi, everyone. This is Heather Vickery. You've tuned in to the Brave Files podcast, and I'm so thrilled to have you here with me today. Did you know that helping others get unstuck, face their fears, and make magical stuff happen is my very favorite thing to do? It's true. And that's why I'm hosting the Brave Method Workshop again. The Brave Method is my completely unique coaching platform that helps you build a life and a business that you love. The Brave Method Workshop is for you if you feel like you're doing all the right things, but growth in your business is still stagnant. If imposter syndrome is in overdrive, leaving you frozen in fear and unable to take the next step in your business. It's for you if you're searching for actionable strategies on how to live with intention and set boundaries for a more balanced, harmonious, and joy-filled life. And it's for you if you are simply tired as fuck of letting your fears run your life. If any of that resonated with you, then my friend, you will love this nine-day hands-on workshop all about how to integrate the Brave Method into your life and your business. Join us every day at 1 p.m. Central, March 6th through the 24th for the Brave Method Workshop. In this interactive hands-on workshop, we will work on how to build better balance in your life and your business how to create and maintain some kick-ass boundaries. We'll give you the 411 on reassessment, reframing, resilience, and why they are so important, and why fearlessness is bullshit. We're gonna talk about how to leverage your fears into intentional action. Because what we know for sure is that when we choose bravely on purpose, we choose bigger, we win bigger, and it's contagious. And magical things can happen when you live a radically authentic life. And then when it all comes together, you, my friend, may just discover that you have empowered yourself in incredible ways. You may say, hell, I'm empowered AF. So let's be real. If you're feeling stuck and the overwhelm is real, then it's time to try something new because what you've been doing, it's not working. So hit the pause button, pull out your calendar, mark the dates and times, March 16th through the 24th at 1 p.m. Central. But be sure to head on over to vickeryandco.com slash workshop to register. The event is completely free, but you have to register to get a seat. Again, that's vickeryandco.com slash workshop. And now that you're super pumped to make the brave leap with me in March, let's get in touch with a few things about this week's episode. I'm curious, have you ever felt completely loved and totally alone at the very same time? Have you ever felt thoroughly disconnected from your body? Well, this week I talked to Elena Joy Thurston about her truly harrowing journey through discovering herself, her body, and her sexuality. Elena's journey through religion, which is not the one you might expect. Putting herself through conversion therapy. Yep, you heard that right. She put herself through conversion therapy and then finally listening to her own body and soul is truly magical. The truth is, our bodies deserve to be acknowledged and celebrated. It's just as important to connect to our bodies as it is to connect to our minds. Elena wants everyone to know that your sexuality is not a disorder to be treated. No one can fix you because there's nothing to fix. And this is so important that it has in fact become her entire profession. Getting to know yourself is the most important project you will ever undertake. You are worthy of being explored and understood. Y'all, this is an incredible episode. It's a beautiful conversation. And Elena 
tells her story in a lyrical, magical way that I know you are going to love. So let's get to it. Passion, embodiment, resilience. This is Heather Vickery, and you're listening to The Brave Files, stories from people living courageously. When we choose bravely in big and small ways, it powerfully elevates our lives. I hope these stories connect with you and encourage you to embrace bravery in every possible way, day after day. Together, we can build a movement of courageous living that enriches both our lives and our communities. And if you enjoy the show, I ask you to please share it with others. Maybe think of someone who you want to choose bravely right alongside you. Thanks for tuning in. Now here's the show. Hi, everybody. We're so glad you're here with us today. You know, in life, it, it isn't simply enough to wish for change. We are called upon to be the change. And sometimes we don't even realize until it's happening what that change actually is. Today's guest is Elena Joy Thurston, and she's here to tell us about her harrowing, really, quite frankly, journey, this self-discovery through conversion therapy, through divorce. And, And interestingly enough, our stories are very similar and aligned. It'll be a fascinating conversation to match up those timelines just a little bit. But all of this eventually led her to being the change she wished to see in the world and for being a light and a beacon for others. Elena, welcome to The Brave Files. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. We were just chatting before we started recording the session that we were connected through. I'll give major props to our friends, Mary and Shelley at Latter-day Lesbian Podcast. So it's always fun to to see networking work, right? (laughs) To meet cool people because you've met cool people. Yeah. I love that so much. So we've sort of teased everybody a little bit. Um, They have no idea, other than I dropped that tiny little similar timeline Mm -hmm. hint, um, about your story. And this show is really dedicated to sharing each and every individual's personal brave journey, because we all have one. And can you just give folks a little bit of background about what your story is, and then we'll go from there? Sure. So... I usually set up my story by kind of explaining where my family came from. Um, I think we all can understand how family can really influence the trajectory (laughs) of your life. To say the least, right? So um, my dad and mom grew up on the East Coast. I'm actually in Arizona, born and raised, um, but my mom and dad were in Connecticut. And in the 50s and 60s is when they met and they fell in love. And it was instant drama. (laughs) Because my mom was raised very Catholic, went to a Catholic school, the whole nine yards, nuns, everything. My dad was raised very um, Episcopalian. And those two groups in New England do not like each other, especially in the 50s and 60s. So So fascinating to me how the different Christian sects. Yeah, because they're so similar. And yet they're at each other's throats. So Mm -hmm. the parents were so upset and refused to go to the wedding up until like the day before, like the whole thing. But they ended up getting married because you can't tell two teenagers in love what to do. So they, (laughs) they got married and had two beautiful babies. And it just it never got better. It was constant struggle between the two families. And so they decided, they were both kind of the black sheep of their family, and they decided, we're going to move. 
we're going to get out of this and, and we're going to have our own family. And so they literally moved across the country all the way to Arizona to get away from religious drama. Then I was born. <laughs> so you were the third. I was the third. Okay. Yeah. And I was a complete surprise. My mom actually was about to go in for back surgery when they did one more pregnancy test and found out that I was coming. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was just kind of a crazy growing up. They were disconnected from their family. And unfortunately, they met, that made it clear that their marriage wasn't working very well, as hard as they were trying. It was just not a very mm. functional marriage. And by the time I was eight, they were divorced. And I was kind of flip-flopping between two houses. And my mom was a single mom. And my dad was a recovering alcoholic. Like, all the things, right? Very chaotic. And so by the time I was a teenager, I was really searching for answers, searching to know who am I? Why am I here? And who am I supposed to be? I really mm. had that concept in my head. That's of, such a question. I feel like every teenager, who am I right? supposed to be? Exactly. And because I, I know a little bit about where you're going and everybody else doesn't. Like, <laughs> I, I can't wait to hear how you landed where you landed when you ask yourself that question that every oh, teenager asks themselves. Yes. Well, I really kind of took it to heart. My older brother and sister, you know, they were 9 and 12 when I was born. And they really kind of raised me. They were very protective. They were very aware that we didn't have any extended family in the area. You know, they had grown up kind of with their grandma and grandpas, and I did not. So they really tried to kind of be the protective factor between me, little, little tiny me, and our parents. And um, I kind of saw how they were trying to protect me from people from the, pe the very people who were supposed to protect me. And um, it really made me question, what is a mom? What mm. is a dad? What is a functional family? How am I going to be able to do that? Or am I just going to repeat this cycle? You know, by the time you're a teenager, you can kind of look at your parents and be like, okay, I kind of understand how you got that way because I'm starting to see Nana and Grandpa for who they are, <laughs> right? Sure. So you start to realize, oh, there's a cycle here, and I'm a part of that cycle. And where am I going to end up? Mm. So when a friend introduced me to a church that had all of these answers, including oh. who I was supposed to be, how I was going to be happy, the role that I could play in order to be happy, and the checklist that I could check off to guarantee that God would love me. And so to have all of those answers presented to you, especially when you're in kind of a vulnerable state in your life. Absolutely. That's how... That's how they get you. That's how they get you. <laughs> Just tell me how to be perfect and I will follow the rules. Yes. Give yeah. me that checklist. I am all about it. <laughs> so, yeah, I was 16 years old when I decided to get baptized. None of my, none of the rest of my family did. I can and we only should imagine. be clear, you joined the Mormon church. Correct. Yeah, I joined yes. the Mormon church. And none of my, like my parents did not, my siblings did not. And they were all kind of like, Elena, what are you doing? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating to me, but I that makes a lot of sense. Children are so vulnerable. And when we aren't sure who we are or how we belong in the world, when we don't have good role models to base these decisions on as we're trying to you know, develop and become full-fledged humans, I can see, of course, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. To prey on, on the innocent like that. 
Yeah. I mean, when you're vulnerable and someone tells you that there's answers, that they have answers, then of course that's the way you're going to go, you know? And when you're really questioning who you are and what your worth is and what your value is and, and what kind of cycles you're going to continue in your life, you know, then it does become, I've, but I've always been the kind of person who I'm always trying to figure out the better way to progress, right? Whether it's in exercise or eating or being a mom or doing my budget, like whatever it is, I'm always looking for like that better way, the better process, the better the way to progress quicker, faster, better, right? It's like- interesting. Uh, one of our other episodes, um, a quote, and, and we'll have to link to it. We will get it in the show notes. Uh, she said, if you get straight to the point, you miss the point. And it takes such a mature perspective. There isn't always a better way or a smarter way. Like, just getting straight to how to do it perfectly means we m- miss, miss the, the process. Yeah. We miss the point. Yep. Yeah. So you converted to Mormonism mm-hmm. and I that had to completely change your life for better it, or for worse. Right? It did a little bit. Since then I've asked my parents like what what were you thinking when I was 16 and wanted to get baptized, right? And my dad was like, "Elena, you were a teenage girl." So for one thing, we figured this was going to last a week. And then maybe the next week you'd be a vegetarian or something. (laughs) Right. And he was like, and and the other point was you were wanting to join a religion that told you not to smoke, not to drink, not to do drugs, not to have sex. Like you were 16. Why would I tell you you couldn't do that religion? (laughs) So it, it makes sense. And I, and I did jump in just both feet wholeheartedly. And then I went off to college and, My freshman year, I kind of waffled back and forth, right? Like, do I really want to do this? Because none of my friends in my major were Mormon. So I I was really trying to find friends. I think that freshman year in college is the other, like, highly vulnerable time. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But And you were at Brigham Young University, so you were at a Mormon... I wasn't. No, myself personally, I was at Arizona State. Arizona State. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and there is a, a decent Mormon percentage there, not as much as BYU, of course, but but pretty big, probably bigger than any other regular school. And um, so when you have your congregation, they're basically like 300 plus assigned friends. <laughs> like, right. They have to be your friend. And you're and really so, not encouraged to socialize outside of that group anyway. Right. Um, it's very much preached every Sunday that when you're single and in college— your job is to find someone to get married to. Oh, if you're a woman. Yeah, and the guys, too. The guys get a lot of pressure as well. There's no doubt. Like, it is really like, don't wait too long. If you graduate from college and you're single, it's going to be really hard to find someone. Oh, my God. You're going to be too set in your ways. (laughs) They're going to be too set in their ways. Like, you really need to find someone now when you're young and changeable. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. So you get to college. What happens? Yeah. So, well, I decided to go the easy route and and go with my 300 assigned Mormon friends. And I ended up getting a great roommate who was Mormon. We became very best friends, super, super close. And she uh, had sent a boy off on a mission from high school. And she had this whole friend group from high school, right? She was from nearby, about 30 minutes away. And so she was like, 
I'm going to introduce you to these guys. And then maybe you'll get married and I'll get married to Ryan and we'll be best friends forever. Right. (laughs) So, so as her high school male friends were coming home from their missions, she was taking me to meet them. And that's how I met my husband. I was there at his homecoming celebration and we met and we started dating. And six weeks later, we were engaged. Whoa. Yeah. Six weeks later as a freshman in college. Well, no, I was a freshman at 17. When I met Chad, I was 19. Big difference, right? There's a sort of. There's a little difference. A small difference, actually. (laughs) (laughs) My mother, my cousin, uh, who's in her 30s now and married with with two kids, but when she was uh, 19, desperately wanted to marry somebody that none of us wanted her to marry. And my mom said, even my taste in furniture changed from 19 to 29. Please do not get married right now. (laughs) Oh my gosh. If any of my kids came to me at age 19 and they were like, I'm going to, oh, I would freak out. Yeah. Yeah. You are a different person at 19 versus 29. Big time. Yeah. Big time. And I mean, even I was... 26 when I got married and you know full you're fully an adult at 26 and yet somehow I really still don't feel like I was mature enough to be, right? to be doing that kind of thing yeah um okay so as per what the religion wanted you get married was it happy were you happy yeah 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 Chad is a great guy he's smart yeah. he's funny he's loyal he is a he's a really great guy I married a great guy, too. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how that still sometimes isn't enough? Yeah. And I think that's why it can take so long. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then um, I don't, don't want to rush you through it because it's <laughs> actually I love the way you're storytelling. I think it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out that even perfect isn't isn't perfect. So no. share with us. You you had children Mm -hmm. you moved across country you had more children right you have four right (laughs) yeah four total yeah and i do also i have four girls what do you have two boys two girls how old are they my oldest is 18 he's a freshman in college my youngest is 10 she's in fourth grade we're in this about the same age gaps oh my gosh 16 14 11 and 7 so their space in ours is about the same uh you just got started earlier than than me you're (laughs) younger than me too so there's that um and something sort of earth shattering happened for me when my oldest went to kindergarten for you when your youngest went to kindergarten what happened my youngest went to kindergarten and all of a sudden i had Six hours a day to think for myself. (laughs) (laughs) It had been a really long time. I mean, I had been putting myself through college, and then I was putting my husband through college, and then I was a mom, right? So here, all of a sudden, I'm 36 years old. I've been mothering since age 20. Well, I got pregnant at 23, Um, but married and mothering, right? So young. Oh, yes. That's totally mothering. Yes. Yes, it is. And so, yeah, off she goes. And I just, you know, I thought, oh, this is just, I need to get to know myself again, right? Finally, I have all this time. I've been looking forward to this for so long. I feel like I ran a marathon and all of a sudden, like, I can stop and take a breath. And so for a while, I just thought, this is just me acclimating again, right? But I just felt so off. And the more time I had to myself, the 
more anxious I got, although I didn't have that vocabulary at the time. What I knew was that I couldn't sit still. I couldn't spend too much time alone with my thoughts. There were a lot of empty hours in the day, so I did what every Mormon mom in my area did, and I joined a gym, and I got my body back, right? And then that wasn't enough time in the day. It didn't take up enough time in the day, so I ended up uh, taking up long-distance running and training for marathon, like actual marathons, and doing basically everything I could do to not be alone with my thoughts. How many people listening can identify with that? Right? Stay so busy that you never have to spend a moment thinking about yeah. anything other than this task directly in front of you. And that is such a terrifyingly lonely place to be. That is the most perfect description of that time. I was surrounded by love. I had a marriage. I had these four beautiful, healthy kids. I had a neighborhood full of my church members who were also my neighbors. Like we were in a very Mormon neighborhood and Mormon congregations are set up geographically. So it's like your closest 300 families. That's your congregation. So our congregation was a quarter mile by a quarter mile. I could walk the entire, all the boundary, the entire boundary of our congregation. So you know, this wasn't just people I saw on Sunday. This was like all the women that I saw at the play dates at the park. And this was all the women at the bus stop and everyone I saw at the grocery store and at the bank. <laughs> like this is everyone. Um, and yeah, I was completely alone. Yeah. I was, But the loneliness, I think, is deeper because you don't you're not even your own friend because you don't even know yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But but you did get to know yourself, Elena. Something surprised you. Yeah. So I was trying to distract, right? So I picked up a third hobby, <laughs> which was fly fishing. And I started to realize it was in those moments of standing in a river, learning to fly fish, that I really became embodied. I realized it was safe to be in my body. You know, when you're fly fishing... You can't have, you can't be thinking about, did I read my scriptures that morning? Did I say my prayers the night before? Like you have, you have to be so present, so present. So it shuts down like all the extra tabs running in your brain, right? That's so fascinating. I feel that way when I paint, which I'm not good yes. at, but I, I go to a BYOB painting place. Yes. And if all I'm focusing on that, I feel it's so meditative. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's that flow state. And I really got there quickly when I was fly fishing, not as much when I was running, although I could find it once in a while running. And um, I felt safe in my body for the first time ever. And I think that really helped me to like, be in touch with my body a little bit again. And then as I got to know this new friend that I had met while fly fishing, I was able to recognize how my body was responding to the relationship. And I had never felt that before. And so whether that was just I had never felt that before because I had always been with men, or if that was I had never felt that before because I had never felt so safe to be in my body and recognizing how my body was reacting to things. Like, I don't mm. know how it happened. I just know it happened. <laughs> So I fell in love with my fly fishing buddy. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember similar moments. Um, 
did you have clues? Did you have... I get this question all the time. Right? Did you know? Yeah. Even though you didn't know, did you know? Did you know? <laughs> um, how can that be? How can it be that you Ugh. didn't know? So did did you know? Were there, if you, now that you look back on it, were there some clues or did it literally just like land on you? Sure, there's some clues. I mean, I think a lot of us in this situation, we can we can all point to very similar things like, Oh, I thought all women appreciated other women's oh, bodies. that's my line. Right? Elena, I love that. Well, I say that all the time. Like, you know, we live in a society where women say things like, yeah. she's so pretty. She's so hot. Oh, my God. I love it. Oh, I want to be like her, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And I always say, I didn't know that the way I internalized that was different than the way a straight person would internalize exactly. that. Exactly. So I've never met that. anybody else who says that. You get me. So exciting. <laughs> Love it. I mean, I think there's, I think many of us can point to that, but I think there's also, I think what has been more clear for me when I'm looking back in retrospect, what's very clear for me is how disconnected I was from my body. In the Mm. Mormon church, when you get married in the temple, and the temple is different than your typical Sunday church building, the temple is the big one. And that's where the marriages happen, amongst other things. And if you, if and when you go through the temple, because not every Mormon does, in order to even step foot in the building, you have to show proof. Literally, it's a card that is signed by your bishop. I've seen them. Yeah, the temple recommends. And it's proof that you're worthy to be in the building. That's okay? so unbelievably fucked up. I just have to say that for everybody (laughs) listening, if you are in any situation in your life where somebody requires you to show proof that you are worthy, leave. Thank you. Thank you. Any situation ever. You never have to show or prove that you are worthy of anything ever. And the scary part is that those interviews, the interviews that are about figuring, determining your worthiness, they start at age 11. Oh, I know. I can't, oh, I know. there's a whole, um, that's a whole separate interview, isn't it? It's a whole it? separate thing. It's a whole, but but, but it, it's relevant because uh, where you've ended up and what you're doing now speaks sure. so much to uh, deprogramming that. Mm-hmm. Well, the other part of that is that when you go through the temple, you're also, um, you're given the Mormon underwear, I don't know if you've already had this discussion. The the magic underwear. The magic underwear. (laughs) And so part of it is to ensure that you dress modestly. So the underwear goes to your knees and it covers your shoulders. So like I couldn't wear like a short skirt. Otherwise, you'd see my underwear and I couldn't wear like a tank top because you'd see my underwear. Okay, so those are considered sacred and you really have to respect them, especially if you're going to still be worthy to go to the temple every year. And so... From the age of 20, actually, I went through the temple at 19. From the age of 19, I would wake up in the morning, take my garments off, immediately get in the shower, take a shower, get out, and immediately put my garments back on. So I had gone literally for decades without even looking at my body. Like My body was something to suppress, to subdue. It was lustful. It was worldly. It was all those things that you're supposed to overcome. My job of being on earth was to overcome my body, not connect with my body. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. 
So you realized you were in love with your fly fishing buddy. Yeah. And what do you do about it? Lose my mind. <laughs> you can say that word. I think I've said it multiple times. I, I remember that moment for myself. Yeah. Really clearly. I didn't have a fly fishing buddy. I've never been fly fishing. But I remember the moment when I went, oh, my God, I know what this is. I took a long time to to even name it. I mean, what I could recognize was her hand was on my leg and it was sending electric shocks through my body. I could recognize that the very first thing I did every morning that I woke up was look for her text. Um, mm. I could recognize that like there was a monologue in my head whenever we were talking and it was just look at me, 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 look at me. And then eventually it was kiss me, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. <laughs> and did she? You know? Yeah, eventually. Eventually. <laughs> so, okay. Every, inquiring minds want to know. I know everybody listening. Was, did she know that she had feelings for women? Or no. this surprised her as well? Correct. Yeah. We were each other's catalyst. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of magical. Funny yeah. how the universe brings us together. It is. You, that's the understatement right there. <laughs> uh, that was also just a really, re I don't know how, who was like sitting, it was like watching a scene from Bridgerton, like sitting on the edge of their seat, listening to you describe that feeling and those moments. Look at mm -hmm. me, look at me, look at me. I literally had chills um, and a little bit weepy because I do remember myself feeling that way for me. So you, the way you describe that is what they put in movies. It's what they put in books. And I know for me, I was searching and searching for that. And I never found it until I found it. Yeah. And it happened to be with a woman. And it wasn't who I was married to. Right. Um, but most people cannot convey that in the way that you just did. Uh, what a gift, first of all. Oh, thank you. To be able to put that together that way. Um, when when it finally all connected, um, and I, I'm not sure when that moment was for you. What was it? When was it when she kissed you? <laughs> so um, yeah, I feel like there's like two different timelines happening. There's like the physical reaction timeline, and then there's like the mental timeline. And like mm -hmm. physically, I was all in. <laughs> all there i basically felt like a 14 year old boy like i was I experiencing that. hormones yep. for the very first time <laughs> i was like 100 percent remember that and we'd be out in public and some guy would check her out she's got beautiful legs and some guy would check her out and i would just instantly be fuming face red vein throbbing in my forehead like i had never had a reaction that way ever before in my whole life and here i was at 36 going am i 14 <laughs> what is happening here wow but then on the flip side there was like the mental recognition and even when chad found out and I had to go to my bishop, and I had to confess, and I had to start working on the repentance process. No one, including myself, labeled it as, you might be a lesbian. What it was labeled as is, oh, you're experiencing same-sex attraction, and that right. needs to stop. Yeah. 
<laughs> You're choosing that, and it needs to mm-hmm. stop. How did your husband find out? Oh, yeah, he looked at my phone. <laughs> hey, that's how mine found out. <laughs> I'm a horrible liar. It was all of, like, three weeks. Like, it was not some torrid affair. I'm a horrible liar. He knew something was up. I didn't even have a password on my phone. Like, he just looked at my text. It was very obvious and clear. I'm he telling didn't have you, to work mine <laughs> is exactly the same flipping story. Oh, my gosh. It also, about two and a half weeks. For real. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. But two and a half weeks can change your life. Yeah, I can. <laughs> Shoot. One makeout session can change so your life. So you said something that I found so fascinating, which was I had to go to the bishop. I had to repent. I had to do these things. Was there ever a moment where you thought they're forcing me to do these things, but I don't have to? No. No. You felt like you had to. And they even sent you to conversion therapy. Well, and to be clear, I felt like I had to because I wanted God's love. And mm-hmm. I firmly believe that that was the only way I could earn God's love was by going through that process. So so I... So you were willing to torture yeah. yourself. Yeah. Well, and so... When it came to the conversion therapy, literally how it went down is I'm going through the repentance process. I'm trying to fix myself. I'm on this crazy emotional roller coaster, right? Like I would spend three or four days like constantly reading the scriptures, studying, writing in my journal, praying, 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 praying. And then like on day five, I would just have this intense emotional crash and I'd be in bed all day crying and thinking about her. And it was ridiculous. And so a few weeks went by of that. And I was finally reaching out to some friends because I was like, I'm repenting. This is what's going on. I'm so scared. And one of them said, there's a guy in town that can help with that. Like, why don't you just call him? So I called him and he was like, yeah, it'll take one to two months. I've done this a long time. No problem. If you work hard, it's no big deal. And so, of course, I signed up for that. So I never try to put the blame for that on Chad or on the church. Um, They were aware, just as I was aware, you know, I was saying, like, this is part of, this is how I'm going to get back to God. This is how I'm going to get back to who I was, is if I go to this type of therapy with this guy. I didn't know it was conversion therapy. And that was part of the desperation, right? Like, looking back, I realized... Elena, you look at reviews of bath towels more than you looked at reviews of this therapist guy. <laughs> like, right. I was just tunnel vision. I didn't look to see, like, is it proven that this works? What's the success rate? How long does it usually take? Like, I didn't look into anything. I just knew that I had a Mormon man in his 60s telling me, I've done this before. I can do it again. No problem. How, how much of that process are you comfortable sharing oh I share it all because I want everyone to know yeah so what happened in conversion therapy so um conversion therapy first to define it so everyone's on the same page conversion therapy is any quote-unquote therapy whose goal is to suppress the same-sex attraction and result in heteronormative attraction and a lot of americans feel like okay so that was like the electric shock therapy that happened in the 50s 60s 70s right yes it is um but currently there's still there's an updated version of that and what it is is that the conversion therapy camps that still operate all over the u.s Parents will send their teenagers and young adults there, and they will force them to watch homoerotic images and then force them to drink like a charcoal drink, which makes them vomit so that they can get that mind-body connection. Okay? Oh, my God. 
Yeah. So that is the physically invasive type of conversion therapy that's going on now. I did not go through that. I went through talk therapy. Now, it has been proven that both the physically invasive and the talk therapy, they have the same suicide rate. So we result, we get to the same place regardless of which one we do. Um, So I don't want anyone ever, a parent out there anywhere, to think, well, as long as they're not touching my kid, it's safe. Because it's not. Because just like the danger was with the physical stuff, with the video and the charcoal drink, um, it is kind of based on science, right? Like Pavlov's dog, that's a legit scientific technique. And they're using science, just not in a good way. And talk therapy is the same way. So, for example, what happened when I walked in, What I was told was something happened to you when you were younger that made you think you were attracted to women. And all we have to do is go back into your memories, find that trauma, heal it, and then you won't be attracted to her anymore. And you can go back to your life. That chance. Yeah. But it's so disturbing. It's so... And okay, so you go back and you find the trauma. Did you, was yeah. there trauma you were able to find? Sure. So so this is um, four days a week, two hours a day, Monday through Thursday. And I'm going in and I'm telling him all about my childhood. And I had a crazy family like many Americans do. So I had a lot of stories to tell him, right? And by the end of two months, first of all, we'd spent thousands of dollars. The cost was $270 a day. So we'd spent thousands of dollars and I was feeling a lot better about my memories with my mom and my dad. (laughs) Like I did. I talked it all out. That felt really good. But I was still dreaming about her every night. I was still on that roller coaster. And by two months, my husband was like, dude, what's going on? Like, this isn't working. And you very much the danger of conversion therapy is that you very much feel like I must be so broken. I must not be trying hard enough. I must... It must be me. I'm the problem. But the problem is, is that it never works. So you're never successful. Hence why the suicide rate is so high. I mean, it doesn't work. Even for the people who say it does work, they don't ever like run off into the sunset with these beautiful, happy, perfect lives. They just hate themselves forever uh if they don't commit suicide. Yeah. 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 Like, I don't feel like you can say it works until they get to the end of their life and they're honest with themselves. I mean... You do have people who who are in marriages and they try to make it work. And and I feel like some of them that are kind of more in the bisexual range of things, like they can make it work. But I feel like there's others that are just I know I know because they reach out to me every single week that I know there are women and men out there that are trapped, trapped in marriages. Yeah. And we're going to we're going to get into that because you've done some really exceptional things You've taken your experience and put yourself in the spotlight to save other people from having to experience this, which is really um, incredible and impressive. So Chad says, this isn't working. Yeah, it's not working. And and what do you do? Well, I go back to my next appointment and he's like, there must be something you're not telling me. And yeah, yeah. There was. I had had an experience when I was 15. I was gang raped and I hadn't told anyone, not my parents, not my husband's husband, like not anyone. (laughs) I hadn't I had not uttered a word of it since the night it had happened when I was 15. 
So, um, so I told him. And weirdly enough, he was overjoyed because this must be the event. Because he's hit the nail on the head. It's he's horrifying. hit the nail on the head. Oh, my God. Yeah. So um, that was really hard for a myriad of reasons. But one of them was going through the victim process, realizing I was a victim of this at 15. That experience took so much from me. And now at 37, I'm a victim again, because I've been told that this experience is what's causing my life to be hell right now. So again, not at any time did someone say, hey, Lena, maybe you just like women. <laughs> right. Which and is, I didn't have which is it just to fine. myself. By the way, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Holy shit. And I, I'm, hmm. yeah. I'm trying to go <laughs> It's so much. You were holding this back, the guilt and the shame associated with it and how that could, for nobody, nothing like this makes anyone gay. I Obviously, I know mm-hmm. that you know that. But if you're listening, I think you probably know it. But just in case you don't know it, mm-hmm. you're born, however you're born, being a victim of a, of a terrible sexual assault like that doesn't. It doesn't do that. It's not. And the that way it is works. what helped me get out of it was that realization. So I'm going through it, and literally, we're now on month six at this point, and the Brett Kavanaugh hearings are happening. Talk about triggering for the entire nation, wow. right? And it yeah. was so parallel to my experience. And so I was watching everything and I was watching how the people around me were responding and how my kids were responding to that and how my husband was responding to that. Like I was watching and it was so intense and the Me Too movement started up in earnest and we were realizing that 75% of American women have been assaulted at some time in their life and even women like Gwyneth Paltrow, right? Like all these big name women have all experienced what I had experienced and I finally connected the dots. Oh, 75% of American women are not gay. There you go. These scientific proof there for you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just to not to go too far off track, but it makes me laugh. Uh, I mentioned Bridgerton earlier, mm-hmm. but it reminds me of the scene for those of you who've watched it where Eloise and Penelope are talking and she said, oh, your maid is pregnant. I didn't know you had a, a maid who was married. And she said, she's not. And she goes, what? <laughs> How do you become with child if you're not married? Uh-huh. Like Until you know something, you don't know anything. Yeah. Truth. Truth. Right. And so you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And what you think you know is based on only what people have told you and not any evidence or proof or fact. And so for you to be able to see these numbers and say, wait, wait, just a minute, how can these things don't compute? Mm -hmm. It can't be. And then she says, oh, well, she said she's in love. She goes, well, that doesn't make sense either. Like your parents (laughs) don't love each other. Like that's not it either. Wait, what is it? Right. Yeah. Um, so when you put those numbers together and you saw that and started to get clear, what is the action that you took? I stopped going to conversion therapy. Amen. 
Yeah, I stopped. I stopped, stopped. And I'll never forget, like, I <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told this story before. I called him, I called the therapist and I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And he said, I don't want you to give up on this marriage. Why don't you bring Chad in and we're going to do one last session, just the three of us. And I'm, I really want to give it one last Hail Mary to see if I can save this marriage of yours. And so we showed up, we drove into separate call, cars and we showed up and we had been in the session maybe 10 minutes, maybe. And an interaction took place and my eyes went wide and my whole body stopped. And it's literally the only time where I've experienced time slowing down. Wow. And I kind of realized I am not okay with anything these two men are saying. Mm. It's not logical, it's not reasonable, and it's not respectful. And I'm not okay with it. And I got up and I walked out of the session. Good for you. It was the most empowering thing I had done since I was like 15 years old. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That is the most self-empowering moment is like, wait, yeah. I'm not here for this. And, yeah. and I don't have to be here for this. Watch me leave. That's right. That Good was amazing. for you. Thank you. Uh, I'm guessing Chad didn't love that. No, no, no. um you kind of put it all on on fast forward though from that point if i know the rest of the story correctly like you 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 were done i was done yeah Yeah. um and you know i took my time with everything like i didn't want to rush into anything because i was literally realizing there were entire parts of myself that i didn't know so you were still trying to discover yourself, still trying to figure all of the parts out. What did you know for sure at that moment? I knew that that marriage was not healthy. I mm. knew it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay for Chad. It wasn't okay for me. And the big realization was that it wasn't okay for my kids. Yep. You know, at that point, my boys were starting to get into teenagehood. And I realized, you know, I could be 10 years away from having a daughter-in-law or son-in-law, I guess. And holy cow, I don't want my boys thinking this is how a normal functional marriage is because that it's not. That was my moment too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when I finally was like, yep, time to file for divorce. I don't know where this is going to end up. I don't know if I'm going to be with anyone. I might be completely on my own. I might not have my kids because that's always a fear when you're in that situation. And especially like, in Mormonism, often yes. the kids do not get to go with the out parents mm-hmm. yeah and so let's do the quick version of that only yeah. because not be, I, I would actually love to do the like the three-hour version of it <laughs> but in the interest of you have there's so much more that i want to share from you you filed for divorce mm-hmm. tell me what happened with your kids how your kids reacted mm. um yeah share that with me so we really framed the divorce as this is what's best for mommy's mental health Mom, it's not up to anyone else to make mom happy. It's not up to dad. It's not up to the kids. It's up to mom. Which is really great, but also having been the mom in the Mm -hmm. very same situation, it's also a lot of fucking pressure. And there were years where I I felt so much guilt for being the catalyst for the trauma and... That is hard to work through. Oh, honey, I'm sure I'm going to be working through that for the rest of my life. (laughs) There's no doubt. 
There's no doubt. And I try to just stay really focused on all the positive things that I brought into my kids' lives because of this change. But there's no doubt. I know how traumatizing it is for parents to get divorced. I get that. Like, but I also know it was the lesser of the two evils. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I don't say any of that because I, in any way, I think you made the wrong choices. I think you made the right ones. But people forget sometimes that when we make the right choice and that is a challenging right choice that there there is still trauma doing the right thing doesn't always feel great and it doesn't always mean everything's rainbows and sunshine afterwards there is still a lot to work through and it's still the right thing yes yes yeah did your kids stay with you they did we have 50 50 custody um And in fact, Chad and I moved to the same neighborhood so that the kids could walk between our houses and both schools. We we moved to the neighborhood right by the schools. That's a dream. I agree. It's really great. I don't, (laughs) I probably don't know if I should say this. I don't really enjoy the neighborhood. It's just as Mormon as the last neighborhood. Fair enough. Like on our street of 12 houses, I think eight of them are Mormon. Oh man, that's tough. Is your ex still Mormon? Yep. Yes. And, and do you have uh, any kind of healthy relationship or is it just a um, don't ask, don't tell, trade right? off the kids relationship? <laughs> I mean, we certainly don't interact all that often. There is a text thread of all four parents. Um, and honestly, Chad and Kristen communicate the best. And is Kristen Kristen's yours? my partner. Your yep. partner. And so the two of them typically will, whenever we have to coordinate things... They do the coordination. I only speak up when there's a behavior issue, when someone needs to be disciplined. Like, that's when I speak up. Elena, any chance Kristen is your fly fishing partner? Yeah. Ah, yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned the way she says that, y'all. Can you feel that? (laughs) Can you feel that through the podcast waves? Because I can feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Was Kristen Mormon also? No. No. She had had Thank Mormon goodness. roommates. <laughs> I know, right? She hadn't been married. She didn't have kids. She wasn't Mormon. But what's just amazing is that she'd had enough Mormon roommates growing up here in Arizona that she knew a lot about it to the point that when we kind of reconciled and we were trying dating for the first time, like just regular dating, she looked into the Mormon church because she was like, if that's where Elena's going to go on Sundays, like I want to be there too. Are you still going to church even after you filed for divorce? No. No. Okay, good. Um, I had made an assumption there and I was like, maybe it was wrong. Right. (laughs) Um, And so she researched a lot and all it takes is like one Google search. And she was (laughs) like, like, no, uh, (laughs) no. But the amazing thing is that she never said anything to me. Like, Mm. she really let me have my own journey. And so it was probably a year later. Now, I hadn't gone to church in that time, but I also hadn't reconciled things, right? Like, I was filing for divorce. I was hiring a lawyer. I was doing all the negotiations. I was finding my own place for the first time in my adult life. Like, religion was really on the back burner. And so it was a year later by the time I was like, so I've been doing some reading and I don't think I want to be involved with this organization at all. And she was like, oh, really? What kind of reading? <laughs> oh, <laughs> this secretly is all new information. <laughs> happy dancing. 
<laughs> yeah, on the inside. Yep. Yeah. Are your children being raised Mormon? They are. Mm. My oldest is actually a freshman at BYU. And so I I happen to know that those children are taught to not accept their LGBTQ parents and to fight it. How how is that all working out? How's that shaking out? Um, they're struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say it's it hasn't settled yet. My oldest, like I said, is at BYU. The rule is very vague on if he'll be allowed to go on a mission, having me as his mom. So he's literally just kind of seeing where where it ends. Um, what about your did... daughters who having to go through that yeah. process that those young people and all of the people have to go through it? But it's I think, well, I don't know if it's worse or not for the girls, but I hear yeah. that there's some pretty traumatic questions that are asked. Uh-huh. Um, yep. Yeah, it's a standard Mormon joke that no one knows what the word masturbates mean until your bishop asks you if you do it when you're 11 years old. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty It's pretty crazy, the experiences they have very young. Um, I did get it put in my divorce decree that at no time are the kids allowed to be one-on-one with any church leader. I don't care if it's Mormon okay. or not. Okay. Um, and he agreed to that. And so if my kids want to get a temple recommend, I have to be in the room while they are being questioned. And, and you, not him. Me. Yeah. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. Okay. So my boys struggled with that because it was important to them to have temple recommends. My girls are not as interested. Um, in fact, it, he kind of has to force them to go to church and okay. they, they are 10 and 12 right now. Like the other day we, we had a pride flag flag hanging in our, at our house and the HOA made us take it down. And my girls were so upset. <laughs> like, That's a good sign. Yeah. That's it's a, good a really good sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck those HOAs. Right. Jeez. Oh my gosh. I mean, you're brave, my friend. I, normally I ask does this feel brave? But I'm just going to say, you are brave. <laughs> it's brave to, listen, I've done it. I was married. I had four kids. Yeah. I had this beautiful, perfect life. Yeah. I came out. I burned it all to the ground and I uh-huh. rebuilt it. But I didn't do it with this religious trauma. I didn't stay in the community that you're in. Like, I went, I went all the way gay. I flew out of the closet <laughs> like I was on a freaking broomstick. I got involved with the gayest woman in America. My my partner literally owned a company called the Gay Wedding Institute. Oh my gosh. It's just, it's, it's now called the Equality Institute, but I like was like I was out and we live in a really liberal community, right? Oh, so wow. the the coming out for my kids they didn't give a shit about that. They didn't care. Divorce was hard. Yes. Divorce is hard. Having yes. two houses is hard. There's yes. there's always trauma and fallout from that. But the fact that mommy liked girls and that I had a, a female partner didn't matter. Like my kids would very casually be like reading, you know, and Tango makes three in their second grade classroom. And my daughter would be like, oh, yeah, my mommy's gay. We read that book at home. Like nothing. Oh, my God. You know, so it, I it was hard for me. And then so to imagine you still being in this situation and and still so bravely and courageously putting your love out there and your life out there to hang a pride flag, to live in this community, to show up. I mean, how many people would even be willing to show up at a meet- meeting with a 
ambitious. Like it's, I, I am amazed by you. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Because it's hard every day, right? It never gets less hard. I would agree with that. It doesn't. And there are days that I go by and I'm like, yeah, this is cool. No big deal. And then something will hit me. Something will come out of nowhere. It was probably like a month ago. There was this letter. Um, a neighborhood in Utah had like rallied around someone and had put pride flags all over the neighborhood. And this person sent an anonymous letter to the entire neighborhood saying, I know you guys are Mormons and you're not supposed to believe this way. What would the prophet think of you if you did this? And that that letter got shared all over the internet. I remember seeing it. Yeah. And for some reason, it triggered me in the biggest, most horrible way. And I don't know why. I mean, other I get hate mail every week for what I do. And I don't care. But man, that letter, for some reason, really put me over the top. Well, that brings me to let's tell people. I mean, again, this goes to just speaking to I just find you incredible because um, we could, some of us can just rewrite it, right? We, I live in a liberal community. I, I'm, I'm out. I'm proud. My kids are proud. We hang our pride flag. You know, we do all those things without concern or worry. You have this worry and this community around you, and then you started a nonprofit to literally save people's lives. Can you share, A, what it is, and B, why? Absolutely. So the Pride and Joy Foundation was started in May of 2020. Our mission is to reduce the rate of suicide and homelessness in the LGBTQ community. And it came about because of COVID. We saw in the month of March and April, suicides went through the roof, especially in the LGBTQ community. And a large part of that was because we had all these college kids who had only come out in college, right? Like you get through your crazy mm-hmm. childhood and you finally are living your real authentic life and you're trying it out and you're getting to know yourself for the first time. And then all of a sudden with no notice, they were sent home and not just sent home, but sent home to quarantine. There were no pride parades to go to. There was no gay bar down the street to go to. There was no way to continue exploring this part of you, this authentic part of you. And and the same thing with spouses. There were spouses that were trapped. And all of a sudden, you know, husbands and wives were finding out because they were in the same home 24 hours a day. So things were happening and, and the community needed help. And I feel like the one of the best, most effective ways to help the community is by supporting their family structure. Mm. So whether I, I often say, the LGBTQ community is one of the only marginalized communities who are not born to parents of the same marginalized community. So like when a black oh, boy is born. Oh, that's a really valid right? point. Um, I mean, not always. Not <laughs> always. I think the the disabled community, I think, can really relate to this. That, you know, your parents don't innately know what you're going to go through. Right? Like mm. black parents, they know what their black kids are going to go through. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying they get the intricacies of it in a way that I cannot. And when you have an LGBTQ person born to two straight parents, which, again, like you said, is not always the case anymore, but is overwhelmingly the majority, then you have parents who, if they don't take the time and energy to learn and not just learn the words, not just learn how to say the letters in the right order, but to learn that it was an innate struggle 
for their child's entire life. Once they're able to realize the need of doing that, then they become the parents that those kids need. So my job is to help parents, one, recognize that they need to do that, and two, give them a safe space to do that, to ask all the questions without looking like a jerk. It's so important. It's so game-changing to... Have parents that recognize there's work to do. I um, I won't I won't say names, but if I have a friend and a client who's listening who does happen to be a black woman and she's an incredible human uh, and has a daughter who is identifying as LGBTQ, still working all of that out, and she said, I don't know how to help her. She yeah. said, I don't know what to tell her. I don't know. This isn't my level of expertise. Yeah. And um, and I said maybe she doesn't need you to tell her anything. Maybe. She just needs you to advocate for her and fight for her the way she sees mm. you advocating and fighting f- for yeah. racial equality. Yes. Like you don't have to have all the answers, but you can still be just as fierce. Yes. That is one of the workshops that we're just developing right now. So maybe it'll be live by the time this episode drops, but we're developing a workshop that's about um, the extended family member's journey. And going from tolerating their LGBTQ loved one to advocating for their LGBTQ huge. loved one. It's a, it's a journey. And once we recognize that and where we might be in that journey, then we have a strategy for helping. Because I truly feel moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and teachers at school, they love these kids. They love them. They just don't know how to advocate for them. They don't yeah. know how to go from tolerating to advocating because it's a multi-step process. So let's it make it easier for them. Yeah. Oh, and and that beginning process. You know, my dad is pretty religious, and coming out to him was really traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to my shock and amazement and complete and utter joy, his response was, "I really don't understand." And my church says it's bad. But you're my daughter, and so I guess I'm just going to love you, and we'll figure the rest out. And I was like, that's all I need. That's all I need. And I don't know that he's done a lot of educating, but he loves me, and he is kind and generous to my partner, and I literally don't need anything else from him. Yeah. And if I were younger, it's different. When you have younger children who are coming out, they do need other things from you. but. I, I was a grown ass woman. I was 38. I'm 46 now. Like I just, I just needed you to not make it harder. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, this is, it's, it's beautiful and amazing work. What has been the, the biggest unexpected joy or surprise from starting your nonprofit? Definitely the people I've met. Um, I actually just got on the Clubhouse app. Are you on there yet? I'm on there, but I haven't quite figured out how to oh, use it yet. Maybe by the time crazy. this airs. I'm yes. supposed to do, um, do you know Becky Mellencamp? Yeah. I'm supposed to do a, a shared a joint session mm-hmm. with Becky. We're going to lead a group do soon. It. So That's awesome. I'll be we'll there. tag you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was just on there the other day, and I was talking with this guy who's a technology guru, right? Like he runs an incredible company that's all about search engine optimization and all of that, right? Random straight Australian guy, (laughs) like just, just a guy. And he heard about the nonprofit. He heard about our goals and what we were trying to achieve. And he was like, I want to help you. 
I want to do your SEO on your website. I want to make it like he immediately went to, I want to make it so that anyone's, anytime someone searches, pray the gay away, I want your website to come up first. Like that became his personal goal. That is the power of connection and community and authenticity of speaking your truth and then letting the universe bring the right people to you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you said it all right there. Right there. Because that's what's happening for me in this month in January. And it's incredible. (laughs) Every day I go to bed and I'm like, did that just happen? (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I love it. I think it's amazing. That's something to celebrate. So I get to I love, 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 love this question. Uh, I really believe in the power of celebration. And in my continuing education, I'm certified in positive psychology. I'm in the a certification program now for inspired leaders. And we're learning the science behind beefing up your parasympathetic nervous system, mm. which is the only scientific proven way to decrease stress. Yes. Is to strengthen your parasympathetic nervous system. And yes. one of the things, so it's funny because I've been doing these, this type of work. I've been gratitude and mindset and all of this for years. And as I dig more into these certifications and learning for myself, my own personal growth, I go, oh, I didn't make that up. There's real science behind that. That's amazing. <laughs> um, but celebration and experiencing joy is one scientifically proven way to increase our parasympathetic nervous system. So I, I've been asking this question now for almost three years, and it means so much more to me now. So how do you celebrate when something good happens? When this guy says, I want to do your SEO, I'm in. Or I don't know, you just survive the asshole Mormon neighbor that wants to give you <laughs> shit because your partner's female. Like, how do you celebrate all of the moments, the little ones, the big ones? Wow, thank you. What a great question. Because I'm realizing I don't, I don't do a very good job at that. And I need to, I need to do that more. I definitely am focused on my parasympathetic system. I think any suicide survivor is like, you really have to be so intentional about being aware of your stress markers and, and how they're building, or if they're not building. But now I'm realizing, wow, I, I do not put celebration into that factor. I think I hope my that default. Changes Me too. Right now. Me too. <laughs> oh my gosh. I need to do that. That's going to be a major shift in my mindset, I think. I'm going through something right now. I'm very, I practice a lot of self awareness. And so when I get triggered, I really dig into it probably a little too deeply because of my personality type. But <laughs> I'm, I'm actually doing a birthday fundraiser right now. Um, which will be over by the time this airs. So I feel okay talking about it. Like it's my birthday coming up. So I'm doing a fundraiser for the foundation. Thank you. And I am like feeling intensely vulnerable because it's reminding me of when I came out and I gave myself this label of lesbian and I lost 95% of the people in my life, including Mm. friends I had had for decades. Yeah. And now it's five years later and I'm doing this birthday fundraiser and I don't have a lot of um, personal contacts to ask if they'll donate to this, right? My personal network is quite so small. My professional network is huge, but my personal network that is That professional small. network can turn into a personal network though. Don't yeah. write that off. Yeah, it's becoming that way and I'm learning and that's awesome. 
And I'm, I'm just I'm just realizing that I've really blurred the lines between like people supporting me, people supporting the nonprofit, people supporting my sexuality, right? Like I've just really blurred all those lines and then I've put money into the category as well and yeah, it's just so interesting to to look at myself and to learn about myself and to realize, well damn, Elena, you don't celebrate anything. <laughs> So how are you going to celebrate this awakening and awareness tonight? What are you going to do? Okay, help me out with this. Because to me, and this is my problem, I see, okay, well, we can't go anywhere. Mm. And I can't really invite anyone but my kids over to my house. And I see them every single day. So how am I going to celebrate? I like that you ask that. And I don't really get to dig into this on the show. We're well <laughs> over. Y'all are, are, I love that you're still here with us listening because we're well oh, over the I'm length sorry. of the time for the show. No, don't be sorry. I, I, I'm, it, it's wonderful. And I don't, I don't know, I didn't want it to end. Um, <laughs> but for me, for the people that I coach and the people that I work with in my Intentionally Brave Entrepreneurs Program and in my Brave on Purpose group and when I speak at an event, Celebration is very much like bravery. Uh, It doesn't have to be this big momentous thing. It doesn't have to be a fancy dinner out. It doesn't have to be bravery isn't always climbing a mountain. It isn't always quitting your job and starting your own business. It isn't always as big as coming out. Um, Sometimes it's brave to go to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's brave to say no. Sometimes it's brave to get out of bed. Right. It's different. And every moment we have a million different opportunities to make a brave decision that if we are aware and cognizant of it, it is life altering and celebration is the same. So celebrating can be anything from literally hanging up this call and going out and joyfully sharing it with your partner. It can be for me, it's often a dance party. I have a client when something exciting happens at work, she has a bell on her desk that she rings and now she's home and she's by herself and she still rings the bell because it feels fucking good to ring the bell. Yeah, yeah. Right? Celebration can go, you know what? I decided I am not going to do anything except read this lovely novel for the rest of the day. I've done what I came to do today and I'm going to hit it tomorrow, but I'm going to give myself a break or take a walk or Watch it. I'm obsessed. An episode of Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> you are obsessed. <laughs> it's so funny. It's literally been, this is a, a, it's become a running joke for, for me and everyone that I engage with um, up until yesterday. And, and we're, we're doing this interview on Thursday, the 21st. So yesterday was the day that President Biden and Vice President Harris were inaugurated. And up until then, from the last, since the election, uh, I have been on edge. I, I have not functioned well. Yeah. Work has been the only thing giving me a lot of because because when I can focus on my clients, it allows me to step out of myself. Yeah. Uh, and there have been multiple days where I my survival mechanism has been clear my calendar and lay in bed and watch this ridiculous but beautifully manufactured television show where I can completely step out of reality of life and be somewhere else. Yeah. And um, I feel less cloudy today. But so it do, it is. You know, it was stimulating my parasympathetic nervous system. So now I joke about it a lot because I like to be really honest and authentic. But yeah, celebration can be all of those things. Yes. What sounds good? Oh, I think uh, after this, I'll be heading out to find my partner. And I think we're going to go outside and stand in the sunshine. And I'm going to tell her that I uh, got through the, the Brave Files interview. <laughs> 
<laughs> Hopefully you weren't terrified for it. Oh my God, what's this woman going to do? But I love that. I think that being out in the, you're, you're someplace warm, it's so cold mm. here, but being outside together with somebody who makes your heart flutter and yeah. letting sunshine fall on your face is a really magical way to celebrate. Yeah. Oh, I love that for you. I love it. Yeah. Ooh, goodness gracious. Okay. So because of all of these things that we've been talking about, um, I really believe in the power of community. I, um, I think connecting with one another and showing up for one another in so many different capacities is what sets us apart. It's what helps us grow. It's what's going to get us through the continued trauma and difficulties that we face, not just as a nation, but as a global community. And so other than your organization, which we love, and we're going to totally give you props for, what is your favorite charitable organization to support? My favorite one, it's called the Trevor Project. Yeah, I love the Trevor Project. Yeah, for me, they are a lifesaver because they have invested, gathered and invested millions of dollars into doing the research on conversion therapy. And now governments and uh, grassroots groups all over the world can use those statistics to prove to governments that it's harmful. It's harmful to communities and it's harmful to people. Yeah. Excellent. So your organization, which share the name and the website again. Yeah. Prideandjoyfoundation.org. So Pride and Joy Foundation and Trevor Project will be our charities of the week when this episode airs and we will give them lots of love. And so we ask you all listeners, I ask you this every week. I'm going to keep reminding you because, um, well, sometimes we have new listeners and we can never hear it enough. Give them some love. Whether that is a couple of follows on social media, you share it, you donate, you you volunteer your time, or you think of somebody who really needs what this organization can provide, connect people, be part of it, be part of the global conversation of creating community and making the world a better place. You can also be part of the change. This is how you do it. Uh, Elena, will you share your three words with us one last time? Absolutely. My three words are passion, embodiment, and resilience. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, I see all of that. And I love you spoke so eloquently to embodiment. Um, Finally, like finding yourself landing in your body for the first time, acknowledging it and recognizing it. Magical. It really is. Yeah. Uh, And clearly you're passionate and resilient as hell. We talked about that. (laughs) So that's pretty impressive. Resiliency, for those of you listening who don't know this, and we the word resilience comes up a lot in the show and in the work that I do. But that's also the only scientifically proven way to be more successful is to be resilient, is to get back up and do it again. Hopefully better or differently than before if it knocked you down. But just Mm -hmm. get back up again. Just show up, folks. Just show up. Elena, this was amazing. I have been wanting to chat with you for quite some time. You also host a podcast. Do you want to tell folks about your podcast? Well, yeah, it should be a podcast sometime in 2021. We host incredible events for the LGBTQ community, families, and everyone that loves them. We have one coming up. It'll probably be done by the time, but I'm just so excited. Uh, Dr. Frankie, she is a professional lesbian matchmaker. That's and, amazing. Right? We are That's doing... so much better than like, you know, Tinder or right? Match.com. 
Yeah, <laughs> she has incredible speed dating events that she does now that it's COVID, and she's just really incredible. And she has agreed to do a fundraiser event for us. So we're going to be having a fireside chat with her and some Q and A at the end. And I'm so excited. <laughs> That is wonderful. Okay, so I don't know why I think you just maybe are on a lot of podcasts, but yeah, um, I am. We'll link to that. We'll we'll connect in all the timing. And if the Brave Files can support you in any way, please reach out. I would love to support what you're doing and and be part of the further dialogue and bridge the gap between um, professional friends and real life friends. You want to be my friend? Yes, oh. yes. <laughs> please be my friend. <laughs> I think I actually have already donated to your birthday fundraiser, but if I haven't, I got you. Um, That's actually one thing that I do. Um, I really believe in the power of of giving back and giving graciously and trusting that the universe will bring it back. So uh, I I say yes as long as it fits within my moral compass to every donation request that I see. Uh, It's not always a large amount. It's sometimes just $5, but I say yes, and that feels – really oh, empowering to me great? to say yes. Yes, yeah. me too. Yeah, me too. I love it. Well, listeners, I love you for hanging out with us. I know that you are inspired by the infectious energy of Elena and the work that she's doing and her story. And, and if it connected with you, tell us about it. Let us know. Get involved. We'll have links to all of Elena's stuff on the show notes. So just visit um, thebravefilespodcast.com and you'll be able to see it. But if you... If you love some of what we talked about, if you're into this, hey, guess what? We have a community for that. Just join us in the Brave on Purpose Facebook Collective. It is a group of people who are committed to living a life of bravery and joy and celebration. And they maybe don't know how to get there, but they recognize that community can change everything. Just visit us on Facebook at Brave on Purpose. Answer three little questions and voila, you're in. It's that fun. Elena, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you for passing the mic and having this platform. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Everybody, thank you for being here. Tune in next week for another amazing episode of the Brave Files podcast. This is Heather Vickery reminding you today and every single day to go out and choose bravely. Hey, friends, I want to share something really exciting with you. We already know you enjoy listening to podcasts because you're listening to this one, but I'm also betting you enjoy audiobooks. And hey, listen, if you don't already enjoy audiobooks, then it's time to check them out. That's why I'm really excited to share Libro.fm with you. They are an incredible new platform for listening to audiobooks. And by choosing Libro.fm over other audiobook services, you are supporting a local bookstore of your choice and investing in your local community. Libro.fm offers over 150,000 audiobooks via their primary platform, which, by the way, they built with love and from scratch because they're a small business also. They even offer bookseller recommendations for great audiobook options. You can sign up right now via www.vickeryandco.com slash LibroFM. That's vickeryandco.com slash L-I-B-R-O-F-M. And when you do, you'll get one free audiobook of your choice and the proceeds will go to your favorite local bookstore. Now, check what I just said there. You're going to get a free book 
and the proceeds are still going to go to your local bookstore because Libro.fm makes sure that their booksellers get paid even when they give a promo to customers. I've listened to over 20 audiobooks this year alone. I especially love listening to memoirs read by the author, and it feels great knowing that all of my purchases support my local bookstore, The Book Table, in Oak Park, Illinois. Libro.fm. The same audiobooks, the same price, but a completely different story. Check them out right now at vickeryandco.com slash Libro.fm. Have you ever thought about starting a podcast? Maybe you've had this thought and then quickly shut it down because who has the time? Or you don't know how, or gosh, it just all seems too hard. If you have something to share with the world, we want to encourage you to get your message out. The world needs to hear it. Did you know that 50% of all homes are podcast fans? If you've ever wondered about having your own podcast or how it can increase your business or get your message across, then please join me and the other experts from the Podcast Power Academy for our monthly free Q&A session. It's called, So You Want to Start a Podcast? This casual live conversation will help you understand how podcasting can be a great decision, why now is the best time to get started, and how to get into action with it. Visit podcastpoweracademy.com to learn more. You've been listening to The Brave Files, stories of people living courageously. To learn more about the show, find our show notes and full episode transcripts, or to get some great bonus content, visit thebravefilespodcast.com. And we would love to know what you think of the show. You can give us a call at 312-646-0205. Let us know your thoughts on the episode, the show in general, or maybe share with us how you're out choosing bravely. This episode is brought to you by Vickery & Co. Success Coaching. Coaching that helps you maintain a life well-lived and a business well-run. Learn more at vickeryandco.com. Our music was created and produced in a custom collaboration with Matt Lewis from ML Creative Consulting, a boutique firm dedicated to helping clients identify their unique sound and amplify their brand with custom delivered soundtracks. We couldn't do any of this without our extraordinary audio engineer, Andrew Olson. Learn more about him and check out his work at findandrewolson.com. And special thanks to everyone on Team Brave from our producers, associate producers, copy editors, writers, and support team. Special thanks to Molly, Mary, Kim, Sabra, and Sabrina. I'm your host and executive producer, Heather Vickery. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.